Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Welcome to our Winter Wonderland service. Now I know who the saved folk are. <laughs> or maybe the four-wheel drive folk or thick-skinned folk. Um, God is so good, and he loves you so much. And I have a word burning on my heart, and I'm going to share it with you. But I need you to prepare your spirit to hear it. Um, every time I preach, I try to get the heart of the Lord and the, and the word of the Lord. Um, but, but this one is, is really, it's one of those messages that are pivotal. It's foundational. It'll set the course, I think, for this year and the years to come to the depth that you receive it and you put it down in your heart. And so um, we're going to be looking here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Don't, don't go there yet. That's, my, that's just my little opener thing. We're going to be looking at Genesis 22. Uh, so get Genesis 22 on your lap. But I just want to read this to just kind of set up a foundation for where we're going today. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, look, I lay in Zion a stone, a precious cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So Peter is trying to get us to get the understanding. He's talking largely to a Jewish audience that had probably went through a diaspora or a dispersion uh, and had seen the temple come down. So in their mind, the temple was the center of worship, and to see that go down, God's plans for our life must be going down too. You ever been there? Because sometimes when we see things in the physical, we miss the reality of what God's trying to do in the supernatural. And so the Lord would have us have a heart that would go deep enough, not to our own understanding, but to the understanding that comes from the eyes and heart of the Spirit of God that can interpret a situation beyond what it looks like. So he begins to tell them, like, don't trip that the temple is being torn down and has been torn down. Here's what I want you to understand, that you are the living stones and God is stacking you together with other people and y'all are going to become the beautiful house. But before we focus on the beauty of the house, we've got to figure out what is that house built on? And so Peter says that there has been a cornerstone laid in Zion. And this cornerstone that God has dropped down from Zion, from the spiritual heavens, and put square down on the earth. He said, this is the stone in which we're all to build on. Because the idea of the cornerstone, it was the first stone set in building anything in ancient times. You would set that stone, and if that stone was crooked, guess what the whole building would be? 
It's the measure and the mark in which everything else is to be measured. And if anything is crooked, uh, it's crooked because either the cornerstone's crooked or the brick being laid on it has been laid crooked. So God says, I've put this square, perfect stone from Zion, and I've set it down. And now you guys are living stones, and I'm trying to get you in a position to stack yourself according to the stature and the maturity and the holiness of King Jesus. And I'm trying to move by the Spirit of God to get your life to look like his. And if you'll build your life on that, I can make you a beautiful temple. You won't be tripping about Solomon's temple or Herod's temple or Moses' tabernacle. You'll come to the revelation of who you are in him, and you will offer out sacrifices pleasing to God. That this cornerstone was laid in such a way that everything else was built upon it that it becomes the foundation of everything. But here's what happened to the cornerstone when God put it down. (laughs) is people tripped on it because they got offended. Instead of building on it, they thought it was in the way. That stupid thing. No, no, no. That's what you build on. You build on that which is not natural, but that which is supernatural and that which God has appointed and approved. So what I want to get to today is that Jesus is that cornerstone. He is that perfect thing, block placed, and we are living stones offering ourselves on that block to build up this beautiful thing that God wants to do. But to understand the capstone, to understand this cornerstone reality, we have to go back and take all the other bricks off of it and then look at the foundation once again. I remember being in Bible college and the professor said, some of you guys showed up with paintbrushes when you should have showed up with shovels. that the work that they were aimed at doing was foundational, not window work or trimming. Because if God can get our foundations right, then we can begin to build something and your life can handle the glory and the success that God wants to give you so that you can walk out your destiny and the purpose in your life. But that's not gonna come outside of putting everything that you are on the capstone and the cornerstone that is Jesus. And this is where he's wanting to take us all to this deep dive. Because how many of you know, sometimes we can just get churched? Oh, three people can get churched? Okay. (laughs) I guess I got the unchurched in here. Woohoo! Evangelist, you're doing altar call, right? Bow your head, close your eyes. We can get church and we throw these terms around and they begin to take on a meaning that was never meant for them to have. And so we get churchy and we throw words, whoa, that was anointed. Don't have a clue what that means. We just know it made us feel good. See, we make terms based on how it made us feel, not based on what it was. 
Ah! And so one of these terms that we're going to get to the heart of today is worship. That we're going to start this series. We did our most generous king in December. Now we're transitioning to a most generous people. So we talked about the glory and grandeur of God. Now we're going to talk about what's the response when a God offers that much of himself? What is our natural response? It's people. It's his people. But before we get into what is our response, we need to know, I believe what worship is. Because here we're trying to establish a worship of, a culture of worship. Because a culture of worship pleases the Lord. But what is this term, worship? What is this all about? I want to read to you a quote by Corey Ten Boom. She was, uh, wrote the book, The Hiding Place. She was in uh, was hiding Jews during the Holocaust when the Nazis were coming in trying to um, send all the Jews to concentration camps. They eventually were caught and found and her and her parents were sent to concentration camps for trying to aid Jews during that time. And she writes about it in this experience, writes about this experience in the book called The Hiding Place. And, uh, and she just became an awesome evangelist and just... Uh, went on to be with the Lord now for several years, but um, I just want to read this quote from her. It says, I've learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. Another pastor I follow, Tim Delana, said this, real worshipers don't just raise their hands, but they have loose hands. There's a method in studying scripture and really kind of studying anything. It's called the law of first use or the law of first mention. And if you want to know what a term means, you go back to the first time it was used. And the first time that term is used will then set the foundation for every other time that it is used. Um, It's the stone on which the other stones are set and the one that holds the other stones up. So if we really want to know what worship is, we need to go back to the first time it's mentioned and take all our ideas and philosophies and understandings of what it is and say, okay, when was the first time it was mentioned? Get an understanding of that and then start to rebuild everything around that cornerstone of the truest definition of the word. And when the word worship is mentioned, this is going to be shocking, there's no music. No microphones. No keyboard, no guitar, no LED wall, no lights, no smoke, not even a latte. Can you believe it? (laughs) Terrible. Terrible times. That at this worship service, there's only two people. And a hundred-year-old man and someone that's either a late teenager or a 20-year-old. Two people in the worship service. We would say, what a catastrophic failure. <laughs> but God says, this is the cornerstone in which I need you to build the understanding of everything else you know about this term. Genesis 22 Verse 1, 
we're going to find the first time the word worship is mentioned. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go take him to the land of Moriah. Offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will indicate to you. Verse three, early in the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants with him along with his son Isaac. When he had cut the wood for the burnt offering, he started out for the place God had spoken to him about. On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place in the distance. Verse five. So he said to his servants, you two stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go up there. I want you to catch this next part. We will worship and then return to you. So God chose this section of scripture to define what worship really is. Worship's not just lifted hands, worship is loose hands. Worship is saying, God, there's nothing off limits to you. Worship is a 100-year-old man and a teenager or 20-year-old trekking up a mountain, building an altar, and then someone getting on it. That what we have called worship for years is not even the reality of what God had established worship to be. Um, that when we begin to tell God that nothing is off limits to us, what we'll end up doing is we'll turn worship into singing. Because we can all try to sing. Some of you not so well and really loud. But I guess it's a joyful noise. I'm not sure what's happening. Maybe, I don't know. But the problem is when we turn worship into a concert, we celebrate the talents of others for them to do what we can't. And if we're not careful, we'll become spectators or worse, criticizers. Well, they didn't just, they didn't have it today, did they? (laughs) You know, probably walking in sin or something, I tell you. Probably messed up. Man, can't get. Should do that one song more time, you know. We fall into this game of becoming consumers. And we're just consuming the offering of praise that actually belongs to Him. So you don't get to consume the sacrifice of praise. It's for you to give it unto God. (laughs) That's his. So if you didn't like the song this morning, it wasn't for you. I'm not singing it to you. If you thought we did it too many times, I'm sorry. We thought he might want to hear it again. 
But see, we got a church that's created this dynamic between the platform and the, and the people that's created this concert culture. We've become spectators. Now we're even bringing in refreshments. I mean, I'm not against you having a coffee or a water in the sanctuary, but I'm saying like, what kind of culture are we building when it comes to worship? What, what, what are we really doing here? Are we watching someone perform and then going home and talking about it? Or are we offering up this sacrifice of praise that goes beyond what I think, what I feel? You know what? Okay, I'm a, can I have a moment with you? Y'all are, y'all are my people. I'm gonna have a moment with you. Um, sometimes I wake up and don't want to preach. But I've already won the battle of what I want to do or not want to do, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do regardless of how I feel about it. So you get to the place beyond your emotions where your emotions aren't leading you, they're following you. Because every time I go past and do the right thing, you know what happens? My feelings go, oh, I'm glad I did that. Why? Because obedience was the precursor for the anointing, and that's a sacrifice of praise. You're not going to wake up one day and want to be Billy Graham. You're going to wake up one day and not like people. Then you're going to have to make the choice to choose to do the right thing, to bend your will to the will of God, get loose hands and let everything go that you're hanging on to and say, God, here I am with knees trembling. Would you take it and do what you want to with it? Sometimes we're waiting for it to feel good. And I'm just telling you, it don't always feel good. And I, and I, you know, I do my best. I try to be warm and cheery and have some good jokes in there and make it enjoyable for you guys. But, but it isn't about any of that. It's about him. This is about worship. True worship to the king. So why did we turn worship into singing? Here's why. Singing doesn't make a demand on your life. Are y'all okay? I mean, are y'all okay? Shake yourself. (laughs) I know it's so cold out there, Richard Simmons wearing sweatpants, but (laughs) come on now. You're here, you made it, let's dig in. But worship, true worship, makes a demand. True worship brings us to a place to where God is requiring things from us that we've not been willing to yield to him. Worship makes a demand. Because we can all sing the same song, right? I surrender all. Hey, it ain't that bad. Come on, man. Don't leave me. I'll stop. I promise. I surrender all. You know? But then what is our heart really? What if, what if the only thing that could come out of our mouth is what our words are? Or is what our heart is? What if it was like this and you were trying to enter in with the worship team and you go, 
I surrender some. Oh, I. Or I surrender none. Behold the glory of God. It's like the Lord is more interested, not in your jumping around and shouting. I love all that. What he's more interested in is, is there anywhere in your heart that you've said, you can't go here, God? Is there any place that you said, Lord, I'll give you this, but don't you dare touch that? Now, here's what happens when we get in these bargaining places with the Lord. When we get in these bargaining places with the Lord, you're now telling God what to do. So who's God now? And this is the place that God's trying to get to the root at. And it's what's keeping you from going to the next step with him. It's what's keeping you from finding him and to find the joy that God really wants for your life. So when we read our text today, Abraham wasn't trekking up the mountain with a PA system. He wasn't on his way up with Isaac going, let's work on our harmonies. We're going up the hill to worship him. We're going to build an altar, going to get a knife. Oops, sorry. I said too much. They were going up the hill to worship. They weren't going up to sing a duet or to try to out-sing everybody in the room. It was a once and for all moment that God said to Abraham, can I have that, your son? Now that I got to thinking about this, this came to me this morning, actually. Why would God ask for his son? Well, if any parents in here that are in your right mind, you would say, man, I'd rather it be me than my kids. See, God could have asked Abraham to get on there, but that wouldn't have been as deep of an ask as asking him to offer his son. That God was going to the deepest place that he could go with Abraham so that he could begin to prepare him to be the blessing for the entire world. Because through Abraham's seed, all was going to be blessed. But God says, I can't let my Messiah go through you unless everything's on the table, Abraham. I can't let this promise go forward if you're not in partnership with me. That doesn't mean perfection. It means partnership. It means that I'm open to what the Lord is asking me to do and I'm willing to move with everything within me towards the reality of that obedience. It was a once and for all moment. This went beyond Abraham. This went to the promise, because remember, through his seed, all nations are going to be blessed. So as far as Abraham knew, that's how it's going to happen. Now God's asking him for the thing that God gave him. 
He's asking for something that God could only give him. Abraham was as good as dead. He was old and cold. There wasn't no medicine back then. You know what I'm saying? And Sarah was in her 90s. Her womb was as good as dead. And then the promise happens. Oh my gosh. This is a. Now God says, give me the miracle. Give me the miracle. That worship is not bringing our mess and mistakes to the altar. True worship is when you put your miracle on the altar. True worship is when you put your gifting on the altar. Not the thing that's yours, but the thing that he put on the inside of you for him. And so we could have people lifted hands, singing, and look from the outside and go, wow, now that's worship. The reality of the heart, there could be an old lady in the back just crying tears that we never know or see. And God goes, oh, I like that. Wow, because it's not about the demonstration. It's about the inward heart reality. And I got to watch myself on this because I'm telling you what, if you, cut, if you cut me down to the bone, Pentecostal is going to jump out at you. Like I'm a gifts guy, I'm a Holy Spirit guy. I will get so weird you'll be afraid and you'll run out of the church. Like, I don't even care. If God's in it, I'm for it. Like, I am all in with the supernatural and God doing amazing, crazy stuff and getting people out of their comfort zones. But I want to preface that by saying, you can do that in the flesh sometimes. You could be operating on a gift that you've not yielded to the Lord and being pressing people with the gift, but the inward reality of your life be shambles. And you can fool everybody in the room and they'll, they'll cry, they'll shout, they'll give you a pat on the back. Whoa, woo! It'll even make you feel good. Mm, I was under the anointing. But the reality is, it was idolatry, it was perverse. It was wicked and it did more harm to the body of Christ, you operating in your gift without the right heart, than it would have been if you just set your tail down and just listened. Lock the doors, guys. <laughs> no, and I'm not trying to be the super spiritual preacher that gets to like talk down. Trying to create an opportunity of repentance so that God could exalt your humble self and lift you up to the purpose and the destiny that he has for your life. That's what I want to happen. It wasn't singing when Abraham went to the mountain to worship Isaac and he went to worship. It was beyond that. It was a sacrifice of praise. 
And I don't want you to get me wrong because singing is definitely a part of worship. King David, when he had his tabernacle, he had one chamber to the ark of God and he had 288 minstrels and musicians that constantly 24-7 sang and wrote poetry and songs before the presence of God and ministered to the Lord 24-7. By the end of his reign, he had upped that to 4,000 on-staff musicians that would not relent and keep ministering to the Lord with song and praise and psalms and spiritual songs and all that stuff. So don't hear me that we're going to now become Church of Christ or something. Well, no, they sing too. So we're, we're not going to make our own thing. But if you take the bricks off of David's tabernacle and you trace them back to what's this all about, you'll come back to the capstone of Abraham being asked to offer Isaac. And if you don't start there, you're gonna build the most wonky, terrible building that the world has ever seen, and nobody's gonna go, oh, I wanna get in on that. That the testimony to the principalities and powers are they don't get it. And the testimony to the world is, why would I want to get on something as janky as that? That when we get worship right, we get it all right. The cornerstone of worship is obedience. And what is obedience? What is God asking? What is God asking? He was asking Abraham to let go of something. How did Frozen get it before us? Let it go. Okay, maybe it's been too long. Okay. I'm learning my relevant references here. I know I threw out Richard Simmons, and, but showing my age. Um, I want to read you a quote by Kay Arthur. It says, if you don't plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and to walking obedience to him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. And if you have no mention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity, it's not for you. It's not for you. See, here's what I found, and even in my own life, is we like to give God our mistakes like most of our prayer lives are just asking forgiveness for what we've done wrong, right? Just, <laughs> we like to give God our mistakes, but what God's asking for here with Abraham is to give him his miracles. He's asking, hey, okay, I've dealt with you with your mistakes. You messed up with Hagar, get it. You messed up here, you messed up here. I'll take all that and I'll redeem you and I'll save you. But now, Abraham, I'm asking you to give me the promise. To give, see, we like to give God our problems, but we don't like to give God our promise. Boy, you will squeal and yeah. And what that reveals is you have an idol. You have something 
that could actually trip you up. You have something that you're holding on to with such tight hands that if you're not careful and you don't give it back unto God, you'll hold on to it, run away from God and try to fulfill it in your own flesh. Now you've went from worship to satanic, fleshly demonism. Because now you're holding on to something that God gave you and acting like it was your own. The Lord is wanting to dig deeper, get us to this place where we'll give God even our miracle. I got friends in all kinds of places. Well, like Garth Brooks, I got friends in low places and high places. I got friends everywhere. uh, by nature, this is who I am. I'm, uh, uh, we took, help me, y'all told me last time. We took this strength finders test and it's, uh, it is incredible. It showed you like kind of your top five, like who makes up who you are and like how God wired you or whatever. And so um, I've got futurist. I'm always looking to the future. Um, but two other ones I have are includer and positive. Well, that's not always good. Um, <laughs> So when I see somebody, the first thing I think is, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You're incredible. I got to get you to work doing something. So I'll put them in the nursery, you know. Somebody will say, hey man, you know they got nine counts of murder and just got out on a... I go, oh, well they seem so kind. I must include them. And if I'm not careful, I will pull people close to me that will kill me. (sighs) It's just who I am. And within that, knowing that about myself, the Lord will go past those things that he's put inside of me and ask me to do stuff that goes against even the fabric of who I am. And I have to be willing to hand those things over. I have to be willing to position myself to even give God the good parts. I have to even give God the miracle. And so I started looking within my own life at times I'd messed up and and friends that I have. I got friends in treatment centers. I got friends and I don't even got friends I don't even know where they are. I got friends here, here, there, there, and everywhere. And I got to looking back and I was like, okay, what was the the pattern? What was the thing where things got off the tracks? Because I'm trying to think, where did it go wrong? Because that just is not what I saw in my mind. And when I look, they had gotten a promise And when it come time to trusting God with the promise and letting that into God's hand, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And when they couldn't do it, they took it personal as if the promise was theirs to begin with and the gifting was theirs to begin with. And then they begin to turn on people and create a narrative that everybody else is the problem and not me. It's like if you've jumped to like 40 different churches might not be the church. 
I mean, they might have better music, not worship. They might have better music. They might have better motivational speaking. But the issue was worship. God tried to touch something. He said, no, God, you can't touch that. That is mine. And whenever God asks me for something, I do like Abraham and I just go do it. I'm just that spiritual. Um, (laughs) But when we read this narrative, it looks like Abraham has no problem giving over his son. It just looks that way. Um, But in Jewish tradition and in their commentaries, they believe in Genesis 22, verse 2, that everywhere there's a comma, that was where Abraham was arguing and talking back to God. So if you get a translation, if you, if you want to, Robert Alter translated the Bible, then wrote commentary based upon uh, the Jewish traditions, and it's just the Old Testament because he's not a Christian or a believer, but, um, but he just compiled a beautiful commentary on this. They said, everywhere there's a comma, Abraham's actually responding. Why they didn't record Abraham's words? Because it doesn't matter what Abraham said. It only mattered what God said. So with every comma is where Abraham tried to cut God off and God said, "Mm -mm." oh God, but mm -mm." oh God, but mm -mm." and some of you keep putting commas in the obedience and the direction that God's trying to give you. And you know what a comma does? Pause. See, the church needs to learn how to press play again and to quit arguing with God and begin to fight with the devil and the principalities of powers and begin to partner with God for the thing that he wants to do for your life. Like, this is where we've got to go. That God was trying to ask something from Abraham that was the last thing that he wasn't willing to let go. He won't relent until he... Okay, three people know that one. That's a good one. It's an IHOP vein stuff, so it's kind of out there, but... So let's look at this, verse two. This is Robert Alter's translation, and he includes the words of Abraham. Your son, he said to him. This is Abraham talking. I have two sons. (laughs) He said to him, you're only one. He said, this one is an only one to his mother, and this one's an only one to his mother. You see how he took himself out? (laughs) That's our only one, that's our only one. He said to him, whom you love. He said to him, I love both of them. Because here's the reality. You can love something that's good, and you can love something that's not good at the same time. Can I get an amen? Amen. Have you ever loved something that wasn't good, but the love blinded you from thinking it was? I love both of them. And guess where God goes next? Isaac. And at that point, 
uh, which eyes? You know, like, like where are you going to go? And this is what God is doing. This is a picture of what God does in our life. Hey, I'd like to interject here. Oh, what are you talking about, God? Is this a little? And we make it mysterious and mystical to give ourselves an excuse for more disobedience. When all the while we're just putting a comma, just a pause on our destiny. That is good. It's good because it's from him. See, and, and here's the thing with this story. I know this is like a troubling story. If it's like your first time to church, you're probably like, wow, am I going to get killed around here? Like, what's going on? Am I going to offer much? But people get so offended when they hear this story and it, and it bothers them. And I got friends that are unbelievers that I'm trying to engage with and they'll always go back to this story. Say, hey, listen, God's like that. And I'm like, well, if you'll read a few more verses, <laughs> there's a lamb caught in the bushes and he's trying to show Abraham that he's not like the other gods who require human sacrifice, that he's going to provide a sacrifice of his own and that that sacrifice is going to cover the promise and then that promise is going to be able to be carried out. So but I think we fast forward the tape too quick and we don't, we don't sit on that ask very long. We don't, we don't sit and just kind of feel what that feels. Like, like we hear the rams in the bushes and we go, whew, that was close. And that's what we're supposed to do. But, but I, I got to thinking about it from another angle. Why do we get so offended that God requires something that he made? And we don't get offended that God sent his son and he was pegged to a cross by religion and government and was murdered for the sins of us all. Nobody ever goes, man, I'm offended that Jesus did that. He's the most perfect man that ever lived. You know what we do? We turn it the other way and we go, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm like there was only one good person one time and they murdered him. So you being good warrants nothing for your life. I'm trying to change your perspective here. I want you to see that if you want to be cut to the heart, let it be because Jesus came and died. Let us hand over everything to Jesus, which is our reasonable service. I love this thought. Worship is taking down every no trespassing, no trespassing sign in our life. And if a no trespassing sign is up, it's indicating that that thing's still ours. <laughs> Nobody goes and puts no trespassing signs on land they don't own. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> but when it's theirs, beware dog, no trespassing. Don't you dare step in here. That's okay to do that if that's your thing, but no trespassing is exactly that. Only I can go here. And so when it comes to the things of God, he's like, I need you to take down every no trespassing sign in your life because I want to go not just into the mistakes. You've lived in the mistakes so long. God said, the issue is you haven't given me the promise. You haven't given me the miracle. Worship is saying yes to God before he even asks. And if you notice the heart of Abraham, he did that. 
Because God said, Abraham, what did Abraham say? Here I am. In other words, I'm going to present myself to you before I know what you're even going to ask. That's worship. I'm not coming to resolve something in my heart. I'm not going to fall down the altar every time just because I'm having a bad day. I'm going to come into the presence of God and go, God, I'm going to get this thing out of the way so that I can come to you in a place that says, here I am. I know that's a three-person clap. I get it. That's tough. But it's just what it is. The Bible is trying to point us in this direction of true worship. If we can get this foundation right, I'm telling you, revival will come to hot springs. We'll be offering an acceptable sacrifice so pleasing unto the Lord. He will bend down from heaven and he will say, he will begin to smell the aroma of our worship and he'll say, I like that. He'll begin to dwell in our midst. He'll begin to do things that'll blow your mind. But if we can't get to the place where he has everything, what do we got? we've got a Christian club at that point we got a Kiwanis with the gospel if you're in Kiwanis thank you for your good deeds I applaud them I was once in there I think about the woman at the well, and I believe this is the issue for everything. Woman at the well, five husbands and living with someone. Six men. But get ready, the seventh was about to show up. The seventh, the number of perfection and completion, the another man, the true bride, was about to meet the true king and husband, and they were about to come together in a spiritual wedding, and he was going to undo everything that the past had said. And before we start tanking on this woman, in that day, only men could issue divorces. She was in a helpless state. Jesus meets her in the heat of the day. See, if I were the pastor and I sat down, at the, can I come off here? I want to come off here. If I was the, I'm the pastor, I'm going to go everywhere I want to go. Y'all can get out of here. Uh, if I were the pastor, I would have sat down at the well with this lady. And I would have said, hello there, sinful woman. You know, I need you to come down to my church down the road. It's called Lakeview Assembly, 4524 Central Avenue. Here's our service times. I'm about to start a new sermon series on sexual purity. And then I'm going to do a small group on... uh, marriage and toxic relationships. And then I'm going to create another group about emotionally healthy uh, things. And, and then I'm going to uh, do this. Jesus didn't go there. You know what she said? She said, you guys worship over here, but we worship on this mountain. 
I just need to know where's the right place to worship. See, the, everybody's trying to find out where do I need to go to worship? Wrong question. You ain't got to go nowhere to worship. Because worship is about offering everything you are to God. You could do that anywhere. So he takes her right to worship. She says, well, we, I, I, y'all, is that the right place to worship or is that the right place to worship? He goes, a day is coming and now is. Ugh. When my true believers are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. He didn't go to some sermon series. He didn't go to some out there tangible kind of crazy little thing out here that they could grab a hold of. He went to the place of worship. We would never do that now. We would never do that in the modern church. Why? Because we think worship is us coming into a room not knowing anything about anybody's life and singing a few songs and shooting out of here as quick as we can to get to the buffet because we could care less about the person next to us. Why? Because we got to get home to our miracle. Because we didn't even bring our miracle to church. We brought our mistakes. We brought our junk, but the miracle, oh no, that's gotta stay there. I'm not putting that on the altar. That's why you're stuck. That's why you're still out where you're at. That's why God keeps pointing at it. That's why nothing works out for you. It's the mercy and grace of God to get you to the place where nothing's off limits to the spirit of God in his presence. Man, I'm going to be wiped out after today. <laughs> Take the long way around. <sighs> Worship is defined by Genesis 22. Because if I hold on to the promise, I'll worship it. <laughs> and I'll forget that I'm to worship the one who promised. This, and this is just, God does so many deep dealings with you. And you think you shook all the idols out of your life, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, there's another golden calf? There's another golden calf in my appendix or something? You know, it's like, where are these things hiding? I'm trying to get rid of these. But the Lord will always provoke me by a question. And want me to answer it. He's asking Abraham a question, will you? And then stop. And this is how the God does such deep dealings. And I'll just share a couple from my life. Like, I'll never forget, we just got to the church and things were kind of shaking a little bit. People started coming. Because I didn't know, hey, when I got here, I didn't know if I was going to run this thing in the ground or if God was going to bless it. I knew God called me here. I knew he called me to preach here. And that was just what it was. And I just thought, whatever's in my heart's going to come out. How it lands is how it lands. So I didn't know if I was going to be run out on a rail. And if you are run out, get out ahead of them so it looks like a parade. <laughs> they go, wow, that guy's got a, he's the court martial or whatever. Or whatever that's called, you know. I don't know. 
But I was really starting to find my voice as a preacher. Because here's the deal, dude. I was put on the bench for a long time. Long time. And so here was my shot. To share the things I knew God gave me. And then the Lord said, just slipped up on me. Said, Matt, here I am. Preaching or presence? I go, oh. Lord, you know I like preaching, man. It's my thing. But I knew what the right answer was. Answer was him. I said, presence. Then he backed away. But I was troubled. You know I was troubled? Because I couldn't say it like that. So it revealed to me I had a place in my heart that was still leaning on my gift more than leaning on Jesus. That I was still trying to make it about something I was doing and not just God infiltrating the place and everybody getting blasted. I said, so I said, Lord, would you ask me again? Because next time I won't hesitate. So for three months, I dealt with myself. And then wouldn't you know it, Jehovah Sneaky. (laughs) Matt, here I am. Presence or preaching? Presence. Presence. I want you. Okay. Backs off. So I'm thinking, woo, I passed the test. (laughs) Woo, revival town. Wouldn't you know it, he come to me some months later. Now the church is really growing. We're putting up rows, putting up chairs. And he goes, Matt, presents are people. Oh, God, you would ask me that right now. But what was he revealing? Nothing bad, but he was saying, this is a miracle. But will you give me the miracle too? And I said, oh, Lord, I said, I know what the right answer is, and I'm ashamed I hesitated, but I want presence. He goes, okay. And didn't say another thing, went away. The same, Lord, give me another shot, because I'm going to deal with this idol, and I'm going to beat it back with the tools of the Spirit, And the next time you show up, there will be no hesitation when you ask me that. And so sure enough, Jehovah's sneaky man comes up. Presence are people. Presence. Presence. So it's one thing to give God your mistake. Can you give him the miracle? It's these deep dealings that God keeps dealing with me. And he keeps taking me to a deeper place. And it's not this, oh, oh, it's like every time I make the right choice and follow him, I get leveled up. And the problem is, some of you are so comfortable where you're at, you don't even want to go to the next level. 
You're settling for the smallest little thing. God's saying, I got so much more for your life. I remember when I first got saved, and man, I said yes to everything. Who remembers when you got saved, saved? Y'all remember that? Four or five people remember getting saved. Um, I remember when I got saved, saved. I was the bathroom cleaner, a sound man. I didn't know what I was doing, but there was a need, and I said, put me back there. Problem with me as the sound man, as I'd come out of the sound booth and pray with people at the altars, they were like, bro, we got to have a sound man that stays back there. I was like, man, I can't help it. I can't get down here. So I wasn't the best sound, so I don't want it to sound like I was good at all these things, but if it was a need, I was just, there was just like a yes in my heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Worship team, believe it or not. But y'all heard me sing earlier, so y'all know. Uh, choir. Y'all imagine me in a choir robe? Jesus. Youth worker, grass cutter, mopper, chair setup guy. But I learned the secret. The secret was intimacy with Jesus. And I'll never forget when they came to me and said, Matt, you've been so faithful. We're going to give you a church key. And I was like, oh. It was like sword in the stone, like, I'm the one, Excalibur. <laughs> People would ask me if I was saved, I'd pull out a, don't you even. The bad thing about that is I found out they gave deacons church keys too. So you can't. <laughs> Woo! Got you, Tony. Um, no, but I, that was the key. And here's what I found. It's little things handed to you in acts of service that open locked doors to your destiny. And so I took that key. I even checked it out. I was like, is this real? Oh, my God. Because I didn't know where I came from. You know what I'm saying? It's like, give me a key. Okay. And so the Lord would wake me up in the night. Like, I want you to spend time in my presence. So I don't want to wake my house up. So I'd slip out to the church. And that little key opened a big, heavy metal door. And I would get in there and I would just have time with the Lord. And I would start with music, not worship. <laughs> I'd start with music and I'd begin to just praise him. And as I was praising him, I would then move into the place of worship. Because I'd just be filled with his grandeur and I'd go, Lord, what are you asking from me? This is before I had a call in my life. I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't praying to preach. I wasn't praying to have an opportunity. I just wanted to spend time with him. So I just was staying in his presence, and I'd get up there at night, and then all of a sudden this preach would come over me. So I would get behind the pulpit in an empty church, 
And I would preach these sermons. I was like, I wish somebody could have recorded some of this because these might have been the greatest sermons of all time. I don't know. They were probably the worst, but who cares? I was just preaching and I pictured a crowd just like this. People were in the seats. And I was preaching. I was like, and I'm preaching my heart out. And then I would give an altar call. And then when I'd give the altar call, I would pray for invisible people. And they would fall out. And I would go, man, I wish I had that power now, man. I need those invisible people here. Looked like a mini hen service up in there, man. People took my coat off and just whapped some. Uh, man, it was just, I just ate up with it. And I had no idea that little key of intimacy was going to unlock the door to my destiny. So when you're down here crying out, it's no little thing. It's no little thing. When you're repenting deeply, it's no little thing. There's something in the supernatural where an access key that gets you to places you couldn't have went on your own, is being placed into your hand. That's what Jesus said to one of the churches in Revelation. He said to them, you'll have the key of David. What's the key of David? Intimacy. I'm going to give you the same key David had. And the way David was able to go in, you're going to go in the same way. It only comes when we let God do these deep dealings, and it's not like I was perfect. I'm giving you guys the cliff notes and the high points. I could give you the wrestling and fighting and like, I don't want to do that. But that wouldn't be as entertaining or spiritual. But this is what the heart of it all was about. It was in that place that instead of learning just to enjoy his presence, I got to the place where I said, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do today? Ooh, there's one. Start your day with that. He'll take you on a ride, buddy. Some of you are so covered up in your problems, you should just say, God, what do you want me to do today? God, is there something that I've not given you? It's a it's a place where I learned that he's worthy of it all and it all belongs to him. And it's where I learned to say yes before he even asked. I say yes to God on things that I don't even know what I'm saying yes to sometimes. He'll throw something out and be like, yes. I'm like, why'd I do that? Oh, God asked me. That's why I did it. It was a place that I said yes before God. It was a place where all my ambitions and worthless pursuits died on an altar that I made myself. It's one thing to make an altar for someone else. It's another thing to make an altar for yourself and go get on it. <laughs> What's that for? Me. <laughs> to lay yourself on the altar of God. I want to close with this. We can have our musicians and team come up and just kind of transition, give you some hope here. There's a poem by Theo Monod. 
It's actually a hymn, but it kind of formulated into a poem. I couldn't find the music for it. It's so old. It's probably 1800s or something like that, 1700s, I'm not sure. But I felt like this poem, I've always kept it with me, and I'll go back and read it. I think I actually found it on the back of a Leonard Ravenhill book, Wild Revival Cherries, but I've kept the poem, and it's been near and dear to me. But it's called, All of Self and None of Thee. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be, when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, and I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, and my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heavens and deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. Would you stand to your feet at this time and just, uh, won't you lift those clenched hands and just begin to release them unto God? Maybe your hands are full of stones, ready to throw. And the way to lift in your hands, just you can't bear to do it because that means you'd have to let go of those stones that someone deserves to be hit with. God says, let go of those stones. Lift your hands. Maybe you've got your promise clenched and you've got a promise over your life and you said, God, what's going on? He said, yeah, just leave that to me. Give it to me. Give me your Isaac. Maybe your hands are clenched with anxiety and worry. I'll tell you something. What can you do that God can't do? It's a form of pride. It really is. And we all do it. It's not. It's a form of pride. It says, God, I could do a better job than you. Let go of that worry and that anxiety. Just say, God, I'm yours. I'm yielded to you. Maybe it's your future. Say, Lord, I don't want you making my plans. I got these plans all figured out. I need you to stay out of my plans. I'll, I'll raise my hands. I'll go to church. I might even put some money in the plastic bucket back there. By the way, they back there. I might even do that. Lord, don't, 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 touch, my, don't touch my future. Don't touch my plans. Why don't you just right now with an honest heart just go, okay. God, have my future. Have my future. Maybe it's a relationship you're trying to fix. God said, you ain't no doctor. I'm a doctor. 
Take your hands off. Let me do it. Give it to him. Maybe it's your kids. Oh, these hard-headed kids, I can't do nothing with them. Nah, God's got them. Give them to him the way Abraham did. He'll provide a ram in the bush. He'll provide a ram in the bush. But the problem with the ram coming is the ram doesn't come until we're willing to put it all out there. (laughs) If he just showed up beforehand, he'd be like, oh, there's the plan. Yeah, get up here. Instead, God waits to the last second. He said, okay, God, you're going to have to do something because I can't. And at the last moment, an angel, no! Now I know, Abraham, I can trust you with my promise. Now I know, Abraham, that all nations are going to be blessed and it's going to be through your seed that it's going to happen because you've allowed me access to every part of your life. hands 2024 we're going to have some loose hands that means anything that gets put in them we're not going to clinch we're going to say God what do you want me to do with this I'll never forget the first time this happened to me it was monetary and I'm not saying this to be spiritual I'm just, I'm just trying to just give you some framework for my life that the Lord had been challenging me to sow $1,000 seeds to ministries I respected and and loved and people I respected and loved. And so I've done that a few times uh, based on circumstances and other things. I've done that a few different times. But I've never gotten one handed back into my hand. And last year, first time somebody put a thousand dollars in my hand I mean cash I'm not about folding money you know I'm not not about the one that it got that smell talking about a band young tell I ain't never had a lot (laughs) they put that thing in my hand and I grabbed it and I go thank you but you know what it didn't feel as good as what I thought it was going to feel It was like God gave me that to say, I'm still better. (laughs) But it had to be placed in my hand before I could say that. It's like it went in my hand and and I was grateful. It wasn't like that. I was just like, oh my gosh, it happened to me. I thought I was the one that only did this. (laughs) It was in my hand. And then you know what the next thing I said? God, what do you want me to do with it? And it sat in a cabinet for a year until God told me what to do with it. See, whatever you can't lay at the feet of Jesus has mastered you. I'm just telling you. And anything that you've laid at his feet, you've mastered. (sighs) 
Now, Lord, move on somebody's heart to do that to me a bunch more times. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm the world's worst at ruining a moment, but. Um, but I think the Lord is requiring a response. And this isn't for everybody. I, well, I think it is. It could be. But I know it's for somebody. If you say, man, this season, we got people responding for you, and she beat me to the punch. That's how you get into the kingdom, by the way. Like, it's the violent that enter, that don't wait for protocol. If you're here, you say, man, I want to just lay it all at the altar. I want to surrender all. And when you think you've surrendered it all, don't, don't be dismayed when he shows you there's some more to surrender. But if that's your heart this morning, you just want to say, man, I just, God, I just want to put it all, all that I know of at this moment, at this time, God, I lay at your feet. If that's you, I want you to come to the front. We're going to transition into a time of singing, but I hope our singing turns to actual worship. That's what would be cool. It would be cool if we didn't just sing a song, but the song that we sang matched our actions that we were just laying it all at the altar. I'm going to sing that song, Break the Bottle, um, at this time. And you know what I love about Break the Bottle? It's one thing to pour something out, but if you keep the vessel... You could go refill it. By breaking the flask, she put herself in a position that that thing could never be raised up again. So maybe you guys need a once and for all moment just to come to the front. Just repent before the Lord. Just give Him your life. Give Him your heart. Give Him your future. Give Him your destiny. Give Him your relationship. Give Him your calling. Give him it all. He's going to do it. He's going to do it, but he's going to do it in his own time. <laughs> he's going to do it in his own way that doesn't make sense, but shows you that it's just him and him only that can do it. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.